for our feature presentation. If there's anything we've ever done that I'm particularly proud of, I would have to say that the uh, perpetuation of the greatness of the raid is... If we just do nothing but sit there and go 4, 24, 27, 32, you know, what we keep talking about upstairs is we better get four foundation football players. And we, we define foundation as talent and football character. That's what we want. We want guys that love the game. And if we don't move up, down, or anywhere, man, we better get four of those guys. Now let's get down to town business right quick. The Oakland Raiders select Cleland Farrell, defensive wow. end, Clemson. With the 24th pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the Oakland Raiders select Josh Jacobs, running back, Alabama. With the 27th pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the Oakland Raiders select Jonathan Abram, Defensive back, Mississippi State. With the 40th pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the Oakland Raiders select Trayvon Mullen, DB Clemson. And with the 106th pick of the 2019 NFL Draft, the Oakland Raiders select Max Crosby, defensive end, Eastern Michigan. Are you that, are you that guy number 92 that's raising hell? <laughs> Yes, sir. I'm ready. Yes, will you come out? Hey, will you come out here? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm the guy. I promise. Dude, I've been watching your tape all fall. I've been grabbing Gruden and yelling at him about Mad Max Crosby. Hey, I'm gonna turn the card in. I'm gonna make you an Oakland Raider, and I want you. I want you to help me now. We got. We got Cleveland Farrell in the first round. I'm getting Mad Max Crosby in the fourth round. I'm expecting you to come in here and lead the league in effort, brother. Hey, Isaiah. Yes. This is John Gruden with the Oakland Raiders. How you doing? I'm good. How about you? You want to be an Oakland Raider? Yes, sir. We're fired up. I'm going to send a card in. Congratulations, man. Hey, Hunter. Hey. This is John Gruden with the Oakland Raiders. How you doing, man? Good. How are you doing, guys? Hey, we just made a trade in the in the draft. We're going to make you a Raider. You, you, you fired up about that? I'm fired up Clemson. I like it. That's great, man. We're, we're killing it at Clemson, man. We're, we're, we're going to bring in Dabo Sweeney next. Hey, Quentin. Yes, sir. This is, this is John Gruden here at the Raiders, man. What's happening? What's going on, Coach? You remember having dinner with me last week? Yes, sir. That was worth, that was worth the trip, wasn't it? Yes, sir. Great, great food. We're getting ready to make our pick here in the seventh round. You want to be a Raider? Yes, sir, I do. I'd love to be a Raider. Well, you're just getting drafted by the Silver and Black, brother. Congratulations. Welcome to another edition of Q&A with your boy Q and Joe Arrigo. Like the new intro, it's only for this show. I kind of got kind of juiced doing it a little bit, Q. I got to be honest with you, man. When I when I put it out there on Sunday, I sat down, knocked it out right before I watched Game of Thrones, and I was sitting there just into it. And then when I added the ending to it, it kind of gave me goosebumps hearing John say what he said about being drafted by the Raiders' brother. Congratulations. That got me hype, bro. <laughs> hey, man, I, I ain't going to lie to you, man. Anytime I hear John Gruden get fired up, that always gets me hype. You know what I'm saying? Like, that always gets me hype. So, uh, yeah, that, that's what it is, man. But I, I'm not a Game of Thrones dude, so I don't know nothing about the Game of Thrones. We're going to talk about that later on in the show. But right now, let's talk about what happened last week. The Raiders had their draft, and we have very strong opinions about it. But before we get to that, and before we get to talking to you about each of the draft picks, the, the undrafted rookie free agents that the Raiders signed, who they could potentially bring in as a free agent, your listener questions, as well as other Raider news. Q, I want to know, 
What was it like at the draft in Nashville? Like, you were down there, firsthand experience, three days yourself. What was it actually like hanging out in the heart of Tennessee? I'll tell you right now, man, Nashville is not a city that I would ever pick to go to if the NFL draft wasn't there. You know what I mean? I would have never said, hey, Joe, let's go to Nashville. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I would have never, ever, ever in my life thought about going to Nashville just because from the from a distance, it looks like it's not a city for me. And that's I'll just leave it at that. But... <laughs> but being there on the scene and actually walking up and down Broadway and seeing what's going on in all these honky tonks where all the music is being played and people are having a good time and they're walking up and down the streets and you know you can walk in one place have a drink here listen to some music walk into another place I mean just the environment was amazing and the city is a beautiful city it's very very green which is very bad for my allergies but that's okay so i i suffered a little bit because of <laughs> allergies but i'm not gonna lie that's one of those that you you just say well is it worth it yeah it is so i mean it was great being there it, again i'd go back anytime if someone ever invites me to nashville hell yeah i'll go it's got a lot of great sites uh living sites and and and, and sites that are historical as well i mean it's just it's a great place it really really is and i definitely go back in a heartbeat if ever asked so nashville was awesome and then on top of that it was even better just having the draft there what was the name of the kid rocks bar that you went to and you tweeted out the, the picture and it had a unique name i forget the name well the <laughs> the bar itself was kid rocks big ass honky tonk that was the that was the name of it. It was right there on Broadway, and it was so big that I had I just walked in and the music was playing and this this, this group was on stage and it was awesome. And so I was kind of just taking a video of the whole crowd and the the lady that was on stage singing. And then as I look at my video, I see the name that you're talking about on the wall, and I'm thinking, oh damn. Well, this was going to be a really good video. And so I thought I wasn't going to tweet it out at first, but then I was like, you know what? The hell with it. I didn't put the name on the wall, so I'm going to do it. So ultimately, on the wall, <laughs> it said Cadillac Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, when you tweeted it out and I seen it, I, w- I think I was the first to reply. The first thing I thought of was Hustle and Flow. And I, I sent out a picture of Terrence Howard or a gift of Terrence Howard in Hustle and Flow. That was the first thing I thought of, 3-6 Mafia for some reason. And then you told me it was Kid Rock's bar. And the girl, I think she was singing Bruno Mars, as a matter of fact. Yeah, yep. I was, I was like, it makes all the sense in the world. I wish I was there with you, bro. That would have been a ball. And, and full disclosure, my uncle and my cousins, my mother and my auntie, went to Tennessee uh, about three years ago. And went to Nashville, and they had a blast. My mom thought it was the coolest place outside of Vegas to go partying. I mean, she really yeah. had a good time. My uncle travels a lot, my uncle and auntie and my cousin, and they do, like, cruises, the Caribbean, all that every year. They love Nashville. In fact, I think they're trying to go back in the not-too-distant future because they had such a good time down there. But no, it's another cool. Another burning question that I have for you. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good. But did you get a chance to hang out with Ben Albright and have a couple <laughs> drinks? No, and I was going to. I was trying to reach out to him, but as I was following him on on Twitter and just kind of seeing where he was going and moving and shaking, there was a couple places he suggested to go, and I looked at it, and like I looked at him online, and he said, "This is where I'll be drinking some beers or whatever like that. Come on down." And when I looked online where it was. One, it was a pretty costly place, and look, I was rolling. <laughs> I was rolling on a budget. I was a baller on a budget in Nashville. I was on the company dime, so I wasn't, you know, what I mean, and I didn't want to spend too many dimes on my own. But uh, yeah, so I thought, 
Ah, that looks like a kind of costly place. And then on top of that, he was so busy. I mean, he was he was so busy. He was hosting things. I mean, I saw him at, uh, hanging out with Adoree Jackson and, you know what I mean, and doing all kind of different stuff. And so I said, oh, yeah, this dude's going to be super busy, so I'll just catch up with him at a later time. And then I tried to get him on the show on uh, Thursday morning, the day of the draft, but he was so he was so uh, swamped he couldn't do that either. So, uh, no, I didn't I get to catch up with text. him. I was yeah. like, damn, yeah. that's a busy man. Exactly. And, I hey, again, I totally understand understand but I thought I'd reach out anyway just go for the hell of it but uh yeah man there was a lot of people I meant to reach out to and, and hang out with and I just didn't get the chance I didn't get the opportunity because it was so crazy and I don't I, I know what to expect when I go there but you never really know how it's going to shake out and how everything is going to go and where things are going to be across town and literally I went from our Airbnb that we stayed at and then down to Broadway and that little area down there. And that's where I was at the whole time I was there. It was either Broadway or Airbnb. Broadway or Airbnb. Everywhere around Broadway I could walk, and then I had to Uber back to Airbnb. And that's just that's just how it shook out. So it was a great time, but no, I didn't run into Ben. So any interesting stories or situations that either happened to you or you've seen occur during your time in Nashville? And I, don't, I mean, even with all the different, I believe, bridal showers that were down there or bachelorette parties, I guess they got kind of bummed out that the draft was down there and then there was some type of marathon. But did you see anything that was entertaining or any, like, unique situations when well, you were at the draft? I saw, I mean, one, all the fans that were there just representing their, their favorite football team. That was awesome. So many people, so many different fan bases were there representing. It didn't matter if they were the New England Patriots who are the defending champions or, you know, the, the, the Cleveland Browns or the Arizona Cardinals or the Raiders. I mean, it didn't matter. Whatever fan base you were a fan of, you were there represented in a major way. And just everyone being out there was, was great. But uh, you saw some people that were dressed up in some costumes. I thought that was kind of creative. One guy was dressed up like a cowboy fan, but he, he looked a little suspect, if you if you know what I mean. And I, I don't know if that outfit was okay, but him and a Titans fan were like hugging together and they look really crazy. So I took a picture of them and tweeted it out too and just said, uh, Cowboy fans and, and uh, Titan fans coming together, I guess. And then I also said, No thanks, not for me, or something, you know, something to that extent. <laughs> that wasn't my party that I wanted to get down with. But I'll tell you right now, there was one thing that happened. Me and my co-host from ESPN Central Texas, Craig Smoke, we were at a sports bar one night, and you might have seen this tweet as well. I put out a lot of uh, tweets while I was in Nashville. Anyway, we were at the sports bar, and it was the night that the Warriors were playing the Clippers, and uh, it was still in the series, in the first opening series of the uh, of the NBA playoffs. And uh, matter of fact, the Warriors lost this game, so I think it might have been I don't know either game three or game four, whatever. It was one of those games. And we're sitting at this sports bar, we're watching the game. We just you know wound down from a night at the at, you know being down on Broadway and everything, and going through every. Thing. It was matter of fact, it was Wednesday night before the draft, so it wasn't quite Thursday. It was Wednesday, and we're sitting there, we're eating, we're talking, having some drinks and everything. No joke, all of a sudden, some water just comes dripping down through the ceiling. Literally, water's coming through the ceiling, and it's just dripping down, and it's hitting the table next to us. And the table had just left. There was about eight people at that table, and they had just left, so it cleared out. But there's water just pouring down, and so instead of like getting out of the way and trying to figure out what in the world's going on or even trying to tell somebody and help, my dumb self pulls out my phone and starts recording. Like, that's so 2019 of me. Grab my phone and yeah, start recording. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, no, we, we don't know how to do anything without our phones anymore, and that's, that's my bad. But still, it's coming down. I'm videoing it, and, uh, you know, I tweeted out talking about, yeah, that's water that you see dripping down from the roof, and it was just almost pouring. Come to find out what happened, there was a party upstairs at this place because almost every bar there – is multiple levels, which is awesome. There was nice. people on the rooftops that were watching the draft and partying. And, I mean, that was that was great. That was very Vegas-like. You know, people on top of the rooftop partying and stuff like that. That's 
it's awesome. They call it Nash Vegas for a reason. You know what I mean? It's just, it was really, really cool. But at this party, some people, some clowns apparently got super drunk and super wasted and overflowed the toilet upstairs and didn't tell anybody. So it soaked into the carpet and it soaked into the carpet so much that it finally, the carpet couldn't hold it anymore. And it started just dripping down downstairs, which was, well, right where we were sitting. So that wasn't just water. That was toilet water that was draining downstairs into the the lower level of the sports bar. And then on top of that, the people were so nonchalant and chill about trying to get it cleaned up and try to get it stopped that it was dripping down on a speaker. And so then it was on a speaker and a light. Well, eventually at some point, water and electricity don't match. So (laughs) they don't go together very well. So at some point, the light starts popping. It's just pop, pop. Pop, and I keep telling the lady, like, hey, man, you might want to turn that light off or figure out a way to dry it off. And she says, oh, yeah, we're working on it. The manager's working on it. And it's so chill, like, no big deal. Just pop, pop, pop. So after about the 10th pop, and I don't know why it took me 10, but after the 10th pop, I was like, hey, dog, I think we should get out of here because it's about to get bad, and it's about to get bad in a, in a hurry. So uh, my, my co-host and, and me, we rolled out of there and went to some other place and hung out. But, yeah, that was really, really crazy and really, really interesting. But somehow water was was our nemesis, our arch nemesis on the whole trip. We barely even made it there, to be 100% honest with you. We got stuck at the airport in Dallas for the longest. Our flight got uh, canceled. We had to catch the next morning's flight. It was it was pretty crazy because of all this weather and rain. But we got there. We had a good time. And if that's the only thing we had to deal with, then, you know, that's that's, that's not too bad. I seriously thought that you're going to say the roof opened up and that water came crashing down while you guys were eating and having a drink and you didn't videotape it. So I'm glad it didn't end that way for you, but I kind of wish it did. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. No, well, it didn't. It didn't, but it was it was very, very, uh, it was it was pretty suspect. Let me tell you, it was, I, th- I thought, what in the world is going on? And again, they were just chill about it. They weren't really even tripping that it was coming down. They didn't want no way to get wet, but at the same time, they weren't doing anything in a hurry to try to stop it or, or try to get the electricity and the water to, not to blend. And again, they don't blend very well. You're, you're safe. That was interesting. That was entertaining. Uh, Cadillac pussy had to be something that, uh, <laughs> man, I had that. whoever put, came up with that name, salute. Man, Nash Vegas, no, no, no. Next year, it's Viva Las Vegas for the NFL draft. Yep. We will both be there. And uh, that's going to be a party in itself. I tend to think what they're going to do, and I think it will be a good idea, I want to get Mitch Moss from VSIN Network, formerly he was on ESPN Las Vegas. I want to give Mitch credit. He had a really good idea. Shut down the street right in front of uh, on Las Vegas Boulevard that leads up to the, the fountains at the Bellagio for the fans to make their pick there to be with the fountains of the Bellagio behind it. Um, as far as where they have it, I'm not sure where they're going to have it next year. I would tend to think Caesars would be an ideal spot, one of their properties, considering they are the NFL's official sponsor for sports gaming. Yeah. That would be, I think, Caesars Palace, maybe the Grand Ballroom where, where they hold all the boxing matches uh, there and then have, be able to have it outside. Um, but cabanas, day pools, the roof parties, oh, my God, I can only imagine with, like, Marquee or Chaos at the Palms and the Cosmopolitan, respectively, are going to be like what the Flamingo Pool Party that Friday morning is going to be like, hosted by my guy Super James, which uh, – will be somewhere I will be at prior on that Friday because, quite frankly, that's the spot to go to if you're in Vegas Fridays from noon to 5. You can give them a quick plug. But uh, I'm looking forward to next year in Vegas, man. And more importantly, just because we'll know then how this class st- 
started their careers. You know what I mean? Yeah. This this was a very important draft. You touched on it. I agree. And it's funny as I sit back and I kind of tweeted it out. And I actually we have some clips right here that we're gonna play. This is what I said about three weeks ago with John Gruden talking about Mike Mack, talking about them both, and how this draft will affect the Raiders' future. I trust them because I really believe that there's a plan in place that they are executing. I think hiring Mayock was a genius move by Gruden because you have, again, a guy that understands he's a football guy. I do think so far in the limited time that Mayock's been GM, and even the year in change that with John being the, the de facto president of football operations, I tend to think that they're in a better position today than what they were two years ago. But this draft and next draft is going to tell you what the next 10, 15 years is going to be like. No doubt. Man, that's some Joe Stradamus stuff right there, Q. Man, that's like <laughs> prophetic, bro. Like, maybe I should tell you this week's lottery numbers or something, brother. Like, But wait, to even hammer the point down even more, I'm patting myself on the back, folks. Yes, shut the hell up. I could do it once in a while. This is what I said two weeks ago going into break about how this draft is going to start and how it finishes. Let's play this clip. And that's why I like the pairing of Gruden and Mayock. And I'm just going to almost beg fans to just sit back and watch what they have in store. Watch what they have in store. Because I think by the time this draft is done, fans are going to be like, I see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is what we've been waiting for. It may not be the type of draft that's going to have Mel Kuyper or Daniel Jeremiah, Goo Goo Gaga, like, oh my God, there's going to be some things that they're going to question, I think. There's going to be a move or two that they're going to question. But I also think when it's all said and done, they're going to be like, you know what, this is why they made that move, and I like what they did right there. Look at that, Q. See? Get some love for that. See now, now you get a little now you get a little braggadocious, but I feel you, and, and there's reasons why. <laughs> now there's reasons why because you were you were spot on with that. You really were, and you know there was hints already. We had kind of heard hints in the in the media that oh, there's going to be a surprise or there's going to be uh, different than people are thinking. It's not going to be mocked the way or the, it's not going to go the way mock drafts are, are saying it's going to go. But uh, yeah, man, you were spot on with that. So you definitely got to take that credit when you can get it. Yeah, I, I know for a fact that I mean who we all mocked and predicted who they're going to take wasn't correct. I mean, other than Jacobs at 24, right. I mean, that was the one I think everybody got right. Jonathan Abram was probably my favorite safety in this class. I think we talked about that. Yeah, he was the best um, one. He was the best one, no doubt about. And he was he was the guy that most fit the Raider mold, what a Raider is. I mean, he walked like a Raider, he talked like a Raider, and he plays like a Raider. Well, we kind of heard him talking to John Gruden with the calls. All right, just know this. I'm going to be calling plays against you this spring, and I can't wait to get after your Man, I'm a light show. <laughs> I know you are. When I hear that confidence and his braggadocious and that kind of swagger, like that leads me to think that this is a guy, along with Cleveland Farrell, that already have the leadership qualities you wanted in, in your players. I mean, if you watched their first press conference, and I know you did, Q, I tweeted it out during the press conference. The Raiders' first round picks, all three of them, Farrell, Jacobs, and Abram, are impressive. The way they carry themselves, the way they answer questions, those are the type of players I think in the past, really in past drafts, the Raiders have really 
missed on. And now they seem to have hit a home run with all three in terms of how they present themselves to not just the public, but to their coaches and now teammates. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. They all have their head on straights. They they all, you know, they all expect to win. They're guys that are leaders of their team uh, in, in some form or the other. Cleveland Farrell, one of the uh, biggest leaders on the Clemson defense that uh, just came off the national championship, defeating Alabama and beating the brakes off them. But all these guys are guys that expect, like I said, they expect the highest from every single player on their team. Jonathan Abram is a dog on the back end of that defense. I mean, he absolutely is, and he's going to command the best out of everybody, and that's what the Raiders need. That's what the Chargers got last year in Derwin James. They got one of those guys that I call all the time alpha dogs. That's who Jonathan Abram is. He's an alpha dog on that back end. The Raiders have been missing out on these guys. It's one thing to get athletes that are really good, and we know this, man. This is You can say this for any really walk of, uh, of, of life and any kind of job. You sometimes need alpha dogs in your business, in your line of work, because it's one thing to know what you're doing and being able to execute it. And then there's another thing to not want to let that one guy down. And that one guy is that alpha dog who's going to ride your tail and want more, not just the minimum, not just good, but want greatness out of you. That's what these guys are going to do. They're going to want greatness out of themselves, but they're also going to want greatness out of the guys around them because that's all they know. They've been coached really well. Dabo Sweeney, oh, by the way, he just walked away with a 90-something million dollar contract extension. Nick Saban, one of the best in the business. I mean, these guys, they demand the best out of you, the most out of you. And so that's what these players, that's all these guys know. Plus, they have really good heads on their shoulders. You know, they have that characteristic that Mike Mayock was looking for. Again, going back to something that I said so many times in the podcast leading up to the draft, foundational players. Mike Mayock was not lying to anybody when he said what he wanted. He told you what he wanted from the draft. I want to come out with foundational players, guys that love football, guys that have high character, guys that have high football IQ. And guess what he walked away with? Guys that love football, guys that have high character, and guys that have high character IQ. Yeah, those guys are the epitome of what they're looking for. What I like best about what they did in this draft was they stayed true to themselves and and those characteristics. They went out there and they got guys that fit what they want to do. It doesn't matter if it fits what New England likes to do or Kansas City or Denver or Los Angeles or New Orleans, whomever. You name the team. It doesn't matter if they fit what they do. They fit what Gruden and Mayock want to do. So what we need to do is take a quick break, come on back, and tell you our opinions about why this draft, really the first round, set the tone for everything going forward. This is Q&A with your boy Q and Joe Rigo on the Silver and Black Pride Podcast Network, powered by SB Nation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Q&A show with your boy Q and me, Joe Rigo, on the Silver and Black Pride Podcast Network, powered by SB Nation. All right, Q, we kind of touched on it. Let's go through the first round with the Raiders right now. Okay, when they're on the clock at four, Tyler Murray's gone. Nick Bosa's gone. Surprisingly, Quinnen Williams is gone. Pissed. Now, everybody in the world, myself included, thought, okay, here goes that Oliver. If they're not going to trade back, here goes that Oliver. He, he's a guy that's a three-tech 
and he, he's been linked to them. Their coaches love him. Brinson Buckers loved him. He hit a home run interview-wise with them. And full disclosure, I was in the car on my way to where I was going to go watch the draft because uh, the baby had a doctor's appointment, so we were running a little late. And I have it on my phone. I'm Ubering there. I have it on my phone. I'm watching it, and I get a text right before it says Farrell. I'm not going to say from who. And I was like, oh, they must have traded back. And I said, trade back? And the response was, no, Washington refused to add next year's one, so we're standing pat. And I said, oh. Next thing you know, about 30 seconds later, the Raiders select Cleveland Farrell, defensive end Clemson. Was I pissed off at the pick? No, I wasn't. I've been a big Farrell supporter through the entire process. You look at what he's done at Clemson, 27 sacks, 55-and-a-half tackle for losses the last few years. He was the unquestioned leader of that defense. Anytime a big play needed to happen, he made it. He made Jonah Williams from Alabama look like a turnstile the times they played against each other for the most part. He owned him, and he's a guy I picked a few picks later in the first round. So you look at Farrell, does he have that elite athleticism that everybody looks for? No, and that's the only knock on him. It's not his character. Right. You heard him speak. It's not his production. You've seen the production. He's just not an elite athlete, so we think he's only going to be an eight- to ten-sack guy a year. If you're Raider Nation, if you're John Gruden and Mike Mack, and you get a guy that every year is going to give you eight to ten sacks a year, you would take that. And to get him where you got him, you could have traded back a little bit, but they didn't. They stuck with their board who they thought fit them best to stay true to it. They took their guy with conviction, and I applaud them for that, for not backing down and taking the Dave Gettleman approach where you're trying to make every excuse why you took a guy at six. We took Cleveland Farrell because he fit exactly what we want in a player for the Raiders going forward. Point blank, that's what it is. They get all the credit in the world for that for me. I love the Farrell pick. No, I have no problem with the Farrell pick. It was funny, man, because I was sitting in the media room in the in the in the side stage from the from the uh, draft and everything, and I was kind of juiced up, and I was a little depressed already because Quentin Williams was just taken off the board by the Jets, and everyone knows that I really wanted Quentin Williams to be a, a Raider, and and hey, that's fine. You know, the Jets ended up getting him; they got a hell of a player. Not mad at that. So I was already kind of bummed a little bit, but I was like you. I thought, hey, Ed Oliver is going to come off the board right here. I think this is going to be the guy. I felt like if it wasn't Quentin Williams, it was going to be Ed Oliver, or they'd find a way to trade back. Ultimately, they come away with Cleveland Farrell, and I know as soon as his name was called, I kind of looked at my co-host, and he was videoing me, and I was like, at four? At four? So I questioned it. I did. I'm not going to lie to anybody. I questioned it. There's a video floating around there with me saying, at four? And then immediately I said, well, he's a hell of a player. Don't get me wrong. He's a hell of a player. I just didn't think they were going to take him at four. And again, the plan, and just like you said, you thought trade back? That was the plan. The plan was to trade back and get Cleveland Farrell. He was the guy they wanted. They just didn't think that they were going to get him at four because they thought they were going to have a trade back partner in Washington, and that just didn't materialize. And one of the things I've been telling Raider Nation ever since it happened, you can't trade with nobody. You can't just say, yep. I'm going to I'm gonna go move back to 15, even though Washington don't want to trade. They didn't want to trade. You can't do it. So you have to go and get your guy. And like you said, that's what the Giants should have said. Hey, look, that was our guy. We were comfortable with taking him at, the, at six, and we took him at six. Instead, they're making, like you said, excuses where the Raiders didn't do that. So I definitely applaud them for that. And I know for a fact Cleveland Farrell is a dude. I know he's a dog. I mean, this guy, I watched him play. And a lot of Raider Nation wanted him as well. They just thought that he, they were gonna, he was going to be available at like 20-something, where he wouldn't have been. I guarantee he wouldn't have made it to 24. There's absolutely no, no. way he would have made it to 24. That's a whole nother story. But I saw this dude play in person in Arlington when Clemson played Notre Dame in the college football playoff on their way to winning a national championship, and this dude owned the field. 
He absolutely owned the field. He was all over the place and just wrecking havoc, like you mentioned. Not only getting after the quarterback, that's, that's half the job. He also stops the run. There was a guy that the Raiders used to have that was really good at getting at the quarterback and stopping the run. I don't even have to mention his name because I'm not trying to compare the two guys. I'm just saying, this guy is not just a one-trick pony. This is a guy that could do everything. And this is the kind of guy that also brings that leadership quality. Like you mentioned, leader of that Clemson defense. All the great defensive players that Clemson had, they had three of them drafted in the first round. Three guys off that defensive line drafted in the first round. He was the leader of all three of those cats. So you can't get Alpha ma- male. Yes, exactly right. You cannot get mad at that pick at all. And I know a lot of Raider Nation has been mad at it. I'm not mad at it. I was uh, immediately shocked at four, but I understood it. And I like what they did. I like the pick a lot, and I can't wait to see what he does this season. When I got to George Takata's house, and I seen the video he put on his Instagram, he was like, huh? Pacheco's like, oh, man. Like, it was funny to see them two. And I sat down. I'm like, this is why it's a good pick. Like you say, plays the run in the pass very well. Alpha male, productive, not injured. He is a dude, period, point blank. Yep. He's just a dude. If the biggest knock on him is because he's not a freak athlete because he didn't jump 39 inches off a vert and run a 4.5 at 265 or whatever he weighs, 273, I can tell you this much. There's a team in the top 12 that would have taken him at their spot, and they drafted another defensive end in the top 12. I'm not for a fact. So the Raiders said, you know what, we're not going to risk what we want to do on the defensive side of the ball and in this draft to potentially get the guy that we this next best guy up because our guy is going to be gone. Give them credit for taking the right guy that fits the scheme, that fits exactly what they want to do. I love the Farrell pick, man. I think he's going to embody exactly what this team wants to be on the defensive side of the ball, maybe overall. He's not a guy that's going to keep his mouth shut. He's going to let you know, but he's not over-the-top braggadocious. He's tough. He comes from a military background. His father was in Vietnam. His mother was a drill was a drill sergeant in the in the army, I believe. Uh, his father passed away from cancer not too long ago. You know, a few years ago, I should say. He's a guy that went to a military high school. He's a guy that no structure and discipline. And to be a guy, to be the alpha male on that Clemson defense, to be the alpha male on that Clemson team, period, speaks volumes to the type of person, player, and the character you have as both on the field, off the field, away from the field. That, that to me, screams legitimate top five pick. Exactly right. No, I, I agree 100%. And again, right after the national championship game, he was mocked. And I know the mock drafts don't mean a whole lot, but that's what a lot of Raider fans are, are still hanging their hat on. Well, the mock drafts say this and the mock drafts say that. Whatever. He was a guy that was mocked in the top five immediately. Matter of fact, he was mocked to the Raiders at number four immediately yep. after the national championship game, only because he didn't go through the underwear Olympics like a lot of these other guys did, only because he didn't run a 40. I'll say one thing. If Al Davis was alive, he wouldn't be a Raider today. He, wouldn't be not, he nope. would not be a Raider because Al never selected anyone who didn't run the 40, and that's one thing Cleveland Farrell did not do. He didn't run the 40. So, okay, why didn't he do that? Well, he did this. Why didn't he do this at his pro day? You know, there's the underwear Olympics things that he didn't do that people are knocking him on. All you have to do to see what kind of player he is is just turn on the film. Just turn on the games and see exactly what he did. Again, that kind of goes to Ed Oliver's credit, too, because a lot of people started pushing Ed Oliver back up the boards and up the mock drafts once they saw his pro day, once they saw what he did in shorts and a a T-shirt. They shouldn't have needed that. Ed Oliver was an absolute monster. 
You know what I mean? I mean, we all knew that he was a hell of a player just based off what he did on the football field. Not in shorts and a t-shirt, but so much is riding. They always talk about the intangibles and, you know, the measurables and all that other BS. Look, it's all about what you do on the field. And Cleveland Farrell, yep. that dude can go play. Well, here's the thing, and I tend to agree with this. If Mike Mayock was still at the NFL Network, huh, yep. and he said Cleveland Farrell at number four to the Raiders, and he talked about him, he would be a top five pick. Fans are like sheep when it comes to this. They listen to mock drafts, or like I said before, your own boards, your own projections with magazines and websites you read that tell you what, where those guys feel. That's exactly what happens. If Mayock was at NFL Network still and says, look, Cleveland Farrell, I love him to the Raiders. This is what he brings. The same things he said at the press conferences regarding him, there'd be no problem with this pick. Nope. Not from anybody. Nope. But because he's, he, nobody's pumping him up as this is a good pick out for it. Here's the reason why. Not Mel, not Todd, who I really don't care what Todd says. Not Daniel Jeremiah, who doesn't knock the pick. Just thought it was early. Most people do. Or Matt Miller, who does a very good job with Bleacher Report. Like, there are guys that just that really they said they reached. Right. Well, that's their opinion. The Raiders' opinion is they got the guy they wanted out for, the guy they targeted early on outside of Bosa, and they're very happy with the pick. Yep. Exactly right. And, uh, and, and Paul Gunther is very happy today. You know what I'm saying? Paul Gunther is getting a guy that he knows is going to be a key player in his defensive scheme. Again, that's something else that people have to realize. Defensive scheme. He fits what Paul Gunther wants to do on that defensive side of the ball. What was one of the biggest issues for the Raiders in 2018? The defense stunk. The defense was yeah. awful. The scheme. They didn't have the players to fit the scheme. After this draft, they have players that fit with the the scheme of what Paul Gunther wants to do. It's a it's it's again, you gotta go with what you do. You gotta get the best player, but you gotta get the best player for what you do, not for what the, the best player for what this other guy does or what Buffalo's gonna do or what this other team or Jacksonville's gonna do. You gotta get the guess, the best guy that fits what you do. Absolutely. And the guy that the Raiders went and got at twenty four fits exactly what John wants to do on offense, and that's your boy Josh Jacobs, double J from Alabama. This is a guy, Q, that we talked about at great link last week, being a guy that just fits exactly what John Gruden wants to do. In fact, there's a story behind the pick. I don't know if you heard it. Now, when Philadelphia traded up, John and Mike Mack originally thought that they were trading up for Jacobs. They weren't the only one. And well, they, right. they weren't Everybody, the only one. A lot of people did. I was sitting I in the I was sitting <laughs> in the war room, man. Not in the war room, but I was sitting in the media room, and I was like, "Damn it!" I looked at my guy, and I said, "There he goes." He said, "What?" I said, "There goes Jacobs. Philly's going to go get Jacobs right now. That's what they made that move for." But then John was like, "What? Who are they going to take? They're going to take Jacobs. I want." Oh, and he John lost his his marbles a little bit. He got pissed and worried. And man, I sat there for a minute and goes, "They're taking the tackle." He's like, "What?" He goes, "Houston." needs a tackle more than they need anything else. They didn't jump us. They jumped us in Houston to take the tackle. We're going to get our guy. And the minute Houston made their, their, so their pick is in and who it was, John was like, can I call him? Can I call him? This is all factual, folks. Yep. And Matt goes, go ahead and call him. We're taking him right here. And that's the story behind Jacobs being picked and how the Raiders thought they lost their guy. Yeah, that's a, that's a hell of a story. And the thing about it is Mike Mayock is the guy, and now we know that he's the guy that we were hoping he was going to be, the calming voice, the guy that could tell John, hey, settle down. We got this. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. They're not going to get him. Because Mayock thought that they were going to get Jacobs at first, too. And then he thought about it. Like you said, he thought about, wait a minute, hold on. I know what these guys need. I also know 
the other GMs. I know Philly's GM. I know that he thinks that that draft picks are a high capital. He doesn't like to give them up. He doesn't like to make moves up. So why is he moving up? Oh, he moved up in front of us and Houston? Okay, they need a, a offensive tackle. They're going to go get the tackle. We're going to be solid because Houston got to get a tackle as well. I mean, this is the thing about Mike Mayock, man. He knows not just what the Raiders do. He knows the rest of the league. He knows the rest of these GMs. He knows these needs. I mean, he's been studying these guys for years. I mean, now he's just working with the Raiders, but he's got all this knowledge in his head, man. He knows what's up. So he's able to say, John, don't worry about it. We got this. If that had been Reggie McKenzie, guess what? He would have had to trade up. John would have made him trade up. John would have said, no, go, yep. go trade up. Go get our guy. I want our guy right now. And then you wouldn't have seen what you saw over the weekend, over Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. You wouldn't have seen that because, one, the Raiders wouldn't have had as much capital. Hell, they would have had at least one of those first-round draft picks because they would have gave that up for Antonio Brown. Mike Mayock has engineered a damn near perfect offseason for the Raiders ever since taking over as GM, and that's a lot of that is because he remains cool. He remains calm. He remains chill. He doesn't get panicked when they get out of the, the running for A.B. Okay, well, hey, there's no deal, no problem, we'll walk away from it. He's able to walk away knowing that these guys are going to call me still. And they did, and they were able to get deals done. Mike Mayock, is might, he might just be the best acquisition that the Raiders pick up all offseason long. That, that's a very valid point, and that's one that I, I tend to agree with. I'll take it one step further. What this shows me is that John Gruden trusts Mike Mayock in the draft room. That he values what Mike has to say in Mike's opinion. He trusts that Mike's going to do and make the right decisions and is lockstep with John and what John's vision is. They share the same vision. And it shows that Gruden didn't control the draft room. It shows that Mayock controlled the draft room. And I think that speaks volumes to this draft. So for them to get the guy John wanted at 24, to get the guy that best fits what they want to do at four, and then the way he maneuvered the rest of the draft, trading back and trading up and trading back and trading back and trading up, it showed that Mike knew what he was doing. And keep this in mind, folks, everybody has the Jimmy Johnson trade value chart. You can get that on the Internet anywhere. Right. Just Google it. Every team's is different. So what the Raiders may value is different than, say, New England. Like New England literally only had on their board 100 players. That's all that was on the New England Patriots board. Everybody has two or 300 people on their board. New England had 100. That's how much they dwindled their board down to guys that they want that specifically fit what New England does. The Raiders did the same thing. So to see Mayock move, I thought it was a very masterful job by Mike and, and the things that he, he did in his first draft that I think he's only going to get better, and that's scary to think if you're an opposing GM and team, and that's a really great prospect to think about if you're a Raider fan. Let's move on to the third first-round pick, and this was probably my favorite draft pick for the Raiders, and that's Jonathan Abram. This is a guy, and I think all three first-round picks are the same way, and I think Mullen, who they got in the second round, we'll get to him in a minute, I think these are all tone-setting players no doubt. in their own route. Yeah. You know, now Abrams that physical safety. He's you know ran a four three seven, so he can move. But he's a guy that if you watch the way he tackles, he takes these angles and he takes them like a heat sinking missile, and he'll lay you out. But he'll also wrap you up. He can make plays on the back end. He's a guy that just everything about him I like: the physicality, the height, weight, speed, the passion, 
his attitude, everything about him I really liked. In fact, this is what he said to Nate Burleson out of Nate Burleson's mouth on Good Morning Football on the NFL Network. Nate shared the story to what Abram told him when he visited him. This should check this out. I say Jonathan Abrams. I mean, he was great when he was here. He was so convincing in everything that he said and did. I remember off camera, I kind of walked him over and we exchanged numbers and he he kind of sized me up and was like, I'd lock you down in your prime. And I'm yeah, like, I what? That, that you? And then we did a little one over right here. here on the stage. It was amazing. I loved it. And the simple fact that he went to the Raiders of all places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine as a running back, you slip past the linebackers, you're like, whoo, I just got past Burfick in there. Bam! Mm. Abrams hits you. So he told Nate Burleson, I could lock you up in your prime. <laughs> yep. Straight up as he's watching. And then Nate went one-on-one and he locked him up. Like, this is a guy that, that, that's got that just confidence about him and Kind of, and I like to say, let your nuts hang. Yep. Hang them and bang them. He does that, and I think him and Farrell are going to set the tone for the Raiders' defense going forward. Yeah, I think so, too. And you mentioned it earlier in the podcast, talking about what he said to John Gruden after he got drafted. You know, Gruden said, I'm going to go after you in practice. I'm going to draw some stuff up that's going to go right after you. And he said, I'm going to light your ass up, coach. I mean, that's what he just told his coach after getting drafted. He ain't even signed a contract yet. He's telling his coach, I'm going to yeah. light your ass up. That's the kind of confidence that, that the Raiders need. That's the kind of guy that they need on that back end. They don't need a guy that's going to sit out there and whiff and, and, and get burned and, and you know be thinking and not just reacting and going and playing. They don't need that kind of guy. They need that alpha dog, and that's what, uh, what Abram is going to be. He's going to be that dude, the guy that's going to expect a lot, and he's going to hold other people in check. Hey, if you're not on your, your A game, he's going to put you in your A game. You know, he's going to put you in your place because that's what he expects. He expects that out of himself, and, uh, you know, he, he's going to uh, want that out of you as well. Another thing about him that I like, you mentioned his interaction with Nate Burleson. Also what he did in a lot of his uh, pre-draft interviews, he knew everybody. He knew everybody by their name. He had done their research on everybody. This is not a dude who just showed up to an interview, sat down, and, and you know, had someone talk to him, and he just, you know, re- just recited some answers or whatever, recycled a bunch of answers and just gave it to him. This is a dude who did his homework. He did his preparation, which is a very key word here. He, he did his preparation, yep. knew what everybody was about, knew everybody by their first and last name. When he walked into a room, you know, hey, Coach John Gruden, how you doing, this and that, and hey, Mike Mayock. I mean, he knew the, the, the defensive back coach. I mean, he knew everybody. He had a notebook that he carried with him and had all kind of notes, all kind of scheme notes. I mean, he, he was the most prepared dude in the building before he ever got drafted. This was just pre-draft interviews and, and going on visits and stuff like that at the Combine. I mean, he was, he was doing this kind of stuff. He was a student of the game. And I've, I've said it so many times, dude, when you go on anything and when you do anything in life and you are prepared, all the preparation work that you do, all the practice, and you know, Joe, you've coached. When you practice hard yep. and you play hard, I mean, that, that, that play is going gonna, is gonna to show on the field. And the play on the field will be easy. If you go hard and practice and just really give everything you got every single time you go out to practice, once you get out there in the field in, the, in a game, that stuff's easy. That's what Jonathan Abram did. He did all the hard work well before he ever got with any coaches, ever went on any visits. He already did all that work. That was already in his brain. So once he went on those visits and those interviews, that was easy. That was easy to him, and that's that's what's going to make him such a a dude and a student of the game. He owned the room. And the thing about Abram, and and I've seen this piece. I want to say it was on NFL Network, or maybe it was ESPN. One of the two was after the draft. And it was what he did leading up to getting drafted. That day he went and he got his hair cut. And the guy was like, I'm going to do this. He's like, no, 
I want my hair cut this way. He, he goes, well, what are you going to do? He's like, man, I already got a, an internship as a biochemist at some type of lab next offseason. This guy has his degree in biochemistry or something like that. <laughs> right. You've got to be intelligent for that. And he was more interested in where his teammates, Jeffrey Simmons, and Montez Sweat got drafted, then he was worried about himself. Yep. He was so happy to see those two guys drafted. It made him just go bananas. And then, coincidentally, he was drafted one pick after Montez Sweat. So, for him, I love the pick. And what I like about him and Farrell, I think they have enough stones to tell some veterans in that locker room, shut the hell up. Yep. What you've done has not worked. What we're going to do is going to work period. And I like that because there's been too many times with former Raiders players, they've Raiders have brought guys in who kind of just did their own thing and went about their business. They may know the scheme, but they don't produce. They kind of fall asleep in meetings and aren't as prepared. <clears throat> Reggie Nelson. Right. Um, and just kind of go about their own, their own business, but yet don't hold anybody else accountable where in this case, you have two guys, that not only is going to hold themselves accountable to high standards, they're going to make sure their teammates are held accountable to high standards, and they're going to make sure they get to those standards because they know that is the only way this team is going to be successful on that side of the ball. Exactly right. The foundation has been laid. The foundation was absolutely laid, and it was uh, starting to be laid the, the very first night. I mean, that's just Thursday. Those three players that we just talked about, that's just Thursday. That's what I knew. When I walked out of that, that, uh, that draft and I walked out of that draft room, I knew the Raiders were on to something because all three of those draft picks, in my opinion, were really, really good ones. I loved every one of them, and I know that a lot of Raider Nation were – you know, oh, Josh Jacobs, that was too high. You don't take a running back in round one. Man, kick, kill, kill me with that, man. I don't even want to hear that. I don't even care about hearing any of that conversation. This dude is going to be a next-level type running back. He's going to be a dude that John Gruden can use in so many different ways on that offense. He's just going to be a dynamic player. So uh, I'm very happy with where they picked these players, all of them, Farrell, Jacobs, and Abram. You know, I'm going to go off the rundown and kind of just throw something out there that we had at the back end. I'll throw it in now. On Wednesday – Isaiah Crowell tore his Achilles. Yep. MJ Acosta reported that. Adam Schefter as well. Um, give credit to MJ for having that. The Raiders signed Doug Martin, who they were looking to bring back right when free agency began. I, I spoke to somebody in his camp that said they had, the deal should be in place relatively soon, but they're kind of just waiting off to kind of see how the offseason progresses and see where things are. And then the Raiders signed Crowell, which I thought at that point there's no way Doug Martin's coming back. Well, now with, with him out for the year, being Crowell, Martin now in the fold. Then Steve Weish reports that Marshawn Lynch would be interested in returning to the Raiders, you know, if they want him back. I'm going to be honest. I don't think it happens. I'm going to give you two reasons why. One, Jonathan Abrams already wearing 24. Yeah. That number's been issued to him. Yep. Charles Woodson approved it. I don't think that's going to happen for that one reason. And the second reason is I think Gruden and the staff and really Mike Mack have moved on from Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And the thing about it is I thought that the Raiders really kind of retired Marshawn Lynch for himself because he never really came out and said that I'm retiring. He never threw the the cleats up on the on the telephone wire like he did the first time when he retired from Seattle. He's never came out and said that. Now all of a sudden you hear, oh, he'd be willing to come back if the Raiders wanted him. I'm with you. I don't think the Raiders wanted him. I don't think they did. I think they had a, a plan in place where they were going to go get Jacobs. That was their guy. We know it was. And they were going to move forward with who they have in the locker room, and they were going to be comfortable with that. I do think the game changes a little bit now that Crowell is uh, is out, obviously, for the 
for the season. His career with the Raiders is over before it ever gets started. That's unfortunate yep. for him because he's a 26-year-old dude, and I thought that in Gruden's system, he probably could have been a little something and been a nice little one-two punch with uh, Josh Jacobs, but oh well, that's not going to happen, so so be it. But uh, they bring Doug Martin back, and, and that's cool. He did really well uh, in 2018 when given the opportunity. He was the leading rusher for the Raiders with over 700 yards rushing. He put the ball on the ground, though, three times. I, I didn't like that. He fumbled three times, but when given the opportunity, he was running hard. He was running downhill. So, again, I can respect that. What I do think, I will say, the only little crack I think may be open for Marshawn Lynch is a very small one, but I'll say, Josh Jacobs, in talking to him while I was at the draft and I talked to him, I interviewed him one-on-one multiple times, he is a big Marshawn Lynch guy. He really, really respects Marshawn Lynch. He learned a lot from Marshawn Lynch from a distance. Not even from, you know, interaction with him, but just from a distance, just observing the guy he was, the pro he was, what he's done. And I think, personally, he would like to work with him. I think he'd like to to get kind of up close and personal. And you're right, he has some, you know, me-type, you know, tendencies. But, again, I think there may be a, a small crack in the in the door that may be open for Marshawn Lynch to return for that reason, to kind of help, you know, usher in uh, Josh Jacobs into the NFL, but he would have to understand, and this is something that Steve Weiss said, he'd have to understand that he's playing a back role. He's not going to be the lead back. He's not going to be the dude that's going to get 20 carries a game. He's not going to be the feature. It's going to be the Josh Jacobs show, and the next guy is going to be a compliment. So if Marshawn Lynch was able to kind of humble himself and take that role and maybe take on that mentorship role, I think there could be a small window. What I'd like to see, this is just what I'd like to see. From a fan's point of view, this is just a fan speaking at this point, not a media dude, not whatever. I'm, I would like to see them re-sign Marshawn, have Doug Martin, have Chris Warren, have Jalen Richard, have DeAndre Washington, let them all b- battle it out in training camp and the best four survive, and they, they move on. You know what I mean? The guys who but, really got after it are the ones that are going to move on. That I'd be okay with that. Look, I'm making this very clear. I'm not taking any shots on Marshawn Lynch. I said it last week on the show. That I respect Marshawn Lynch, what he's brought to the table, what he's done his career, what he's done off the field, what he's done on the field. I respect him as a man. I don't see there be any circumstance where he has to come in and compete for a backup role. He has over 10,000 rushing yards in the NFL. He's a Super Bowl champion. He's a guy beloved by the city of Oakland. There's no way he would come in and take a job that he has to, at this point in his career, with everything he's accomplished, has to battle for. I don't think there's a way they bring him back. I think John's reaction, whether or not he knew or had any foresight that Isaiah Correll could be injured, whatever the case may be, I think John knew and wanted to move on from Marshawn Lynch to bring in the young guy who he can give the ball to 300-plus times this season. And I would say as quickly as they signed Doug Martin, they already knew the backup plan. If they wanted Marshawn to come back, they would have been on the phone with Marshawn right away. No, I agree. I, I, I agree 100%. And that's the only reason why I threw up that, that little scenario, and that's only because I, I think that if they realize how much Josh Jacobs really respects him, uh, I think that that might go a, a long way. But again, uh, I, I think everything you said is right. And I, I've been on, on the, the, the side of, it's time to move on from Marshawn Lynch. The team is ready to move on from Marshawn Lynch. I'm ready to move on from Marshawn Lynch. I really am. If Isaiah Crowell wasn't injured, I wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. I was very fine with Marshawn Lynch being uh, a nice story that happened for two seasons and it's over. And, uh, yeah, cool. It's time to you know usher in the new. But, again, with that injury, I just think it would be really nice to have a guy that 
could come with some power and and come with some some umph and some anger and, and and you know run like a beast every once in a while. Some guy that you know but, you can pick up those dirty yards. I don't know if D- Doug Martin picks up those dirty yards. But my next question would be: How will you know what you have in a real game situation with a Chris Warren or even a Josh Jacobs if they don't have that opportunity to show it? Right. I mean, you've seen Marshawn Lynch. And he didn't always pick up those tough yards in the last few years. I mean, he's, he wasn't the same player he was in Seattle. You know, let's, let's be honest. He was a very effective player, but he wasn't the same player. No, he wasn't. So, for me, I'd rather see the, one of the young guys at this point get that opportunity so you know, okay, Chris Warren, this is what we have in him. He looks the part, but can he play the part? Because we haven't seen the production at any point in his college or NFL career at all. I mean, he didn't have the production at Texas, and he was hurt last year. Right. You well, he, he wasn't even hurt last year. They just they just stashed him on IR so nobody else picked him up. But he's got to earn that spot. He's got to earn that in the training exactly. camp. Exactly. And then you got Jacobs, and you have a guy now who you want to be your three-down back, as John said. He's got to be the guy to get those yards. So let's see if he's capable of doing it. If not, you know what? There are other running backs out there that can be brought in to get those yards. I've seen plenty of teams pick up running backs off the street, and all of a sudden – there's a game here where this guy picks up six first downs on third and one, and now he's a short yardage back, and he's scoring all the touchdowns, being a touchdown bolster for you fantasy football players. I would just look at it like it's time to move on, and it sucks because when you have a player that's, in a way, Marshawn's iconic in a lot of ways. I mean, the beast mode quake when he ran over seven or eight New Orleans Saints on the way to a touchdown, what he did in, in other games, he's – an iconic figure in the NFL. When you have those types of players at the back end of their career and it's time to move on, it always sucks to see them move on, especially when they're playing in their hometown. No, I, I, again, I can see that. I just think it's a scenario that's out there. I'm not saying I'm advocating for it. I'm just saying it's a scenario that I think is out there, and I wouldn't mind if they duked it out in, in training camp. But if he's not willing to duke it out in training camp, then fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't deserve a job. Again, I mean, this nothing's given to anybody, and I think that that should be what it is. Hey, if you want to go in and compete for a job in, in, in training camp and want to be on this 2019 roster, then you come to training camp and you bust your tail like everybody else. If you don't, that's cool too. We can we can move on, and maybe that'll make the decision for them. Or maybe they've already made the decision like you said, and they've already moved on, and if they have, I'm okay with that as well. I just don't know if – Chris Warren's going to be that guy. He's got to prove that in, in the preseason. He did pretty well in the preseason, but then he's, they, he got stashed on IR. But he, he's never done anything uh, outside of that. He never did anything at Texas. You're right. I mean, I watched him firsthand do it. He did nothing. Uh, he got in the coach's doghouse really quick. So he, he's not proven. Uh, Jalen Rashard, he's proven to be a guy who can catch the ball really well at the backfield. DeAndre Washington hasn't done anything in his pro career. Uh, you know, again, you have uh, you have uh, Doug Martin that you're bringing back. He's known to put the ball on the ground. That's not really good ball security. He makes me nervous when he does that. But he has picked up some big yards and, again, had 700-something yards in 2018 when given the opportunity. And he averaged over four yards a carry in 2018. So he might be able to get, the, get it done. But he was also a guy that was asking for a lot of money at first, and then they didn't give it to him. And he was sitting out there on the open market. So I'm sure that they only gave him a, a veteran minimum. I'm sure he finally humbled himself and just got a veteran minimum. But, you know, is is he going to be that? Is he going to repeat what he did in 2018? Or is he going to be a guy that, you know, is is the muscle hamster that we remember when he was flaming out in, uh, in, in Tampa Bay? Who knows? I mean, it's a big question. I like the more competition, the better as far as I'm concerned. Speaking of competition, the Raiders are going to have plenty of it on the roster going forward with how they rounded out the draft. When we come back, we're going to tell you guys what we think of the picks rounds two, four, and seven, and who's going to make a big impact when we come back on Q&A right here on the Silver and Black Tribe Podcast Network powered by SB Nation. <laughs> 